All right, well, welcome everyone. We're so glad you're here tonight. My name is Jeff. I have a new life in Christ, and I'm recovering from gambling, fear of man, and envy. It's good to see you all tonight. We are talking about uh, forgiveness tonight, and, and I love it as, 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 as hopefully you've heard, if you've been around for a while, um, the, we call this the 12 steps around here, and it's, it's, a, it's a man-made moniker, the 12 steps, but I want you to know it's rooted in God's word. And when we talk about the 12 steps, all that we have done, all that it is, is, it is an, it's just a helpful way as we study about from this word what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. We just, it helps us figure out if we've gotten stuck along the journey, which step we've gotten stuck on so that we can go back to it and go, how do I get unstuck from this step? And so this is, uh, it's an, an important thing. And the other thing that we say, if this stuff is truly rooted in God's word, then we should be able to investigate the heroes of the faith and see when they emulate these steps for us. We should be able to look at the lives of some of the people that we read about in God's word and go, did they model the steps that we're asking each of us to, to live out? And so that's one of the things we've been doing once a month as we've just worked through the steps. We've been taking a hero of the faith, looking at them and go, how did they model that particular step? And so tonight, uh, we're on step eight, forgive. And we're going to investigate the life of Stephen. Uh, a good storyteller never ends uh, with the, uh, never begins with the ending, but I'm going to give you the ending right up front. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 6 and 7 tonight, but I'm going to close, but I'm going to just take us right to the closing here in verse 60 that just says then falling on his knees this is Stephen right now he's getting stoned by the religious elite the Jewish people here that and he cries out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them and having said this he fell asleep and so Stephen's life his final words are words of forgiveness towards the people that were literally murdering him in that moment. And that's the lens by, what I, that, by which I want to look at Acts 6 and 7 tonight. Look, there's a lot happening in Acts 6 and 7 that's not necessarily related to forgiveness. But tonight, I want to look through the lens of forgiveness. I want to look through Stephen's, I want to look through the lens of Stephen's last words and go back to the beginning of the story in Acts 6 and begin to work through what that means and why Stephen was even in a place where he could offer such forgiveness. A couple of things I just want to say up front. First of all, there's incredible material in your book, uh, in, step, in the uh, Step 7, 8, and 9 book, specifically about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. That's, an, that's a great resource. I'm not going to go through all of that tonight, but check on that. The other thing I want to say tonight is... Uh, I know that there is a variety of hurts in this room. Uh, and I, I, everything that we share tonight is going to be truth, and it's going to be grounded in God's word, but there's wisdom on how it's applied. And so that's why there's leaders in your life. That's why we pair you up with people that can help you apply the truth. And so there may be something that, that I say tonight that you go, well, he doesn't understand my story. He doesn't understand exactly what's happened to me. And I would say, you're right. And so process through what you've heard tonight, process through the scriptures with your leaders to go, hey, what does this look like wisdom-wise applied in my own life? I know for me this step uh, is one that I can look at the range of, of things that have happened in my life and go, hey, I, by the grace of God, mine feels like on the lighter end of some of the harms done to me. The, the, the harm that sticks out the most to me is uh, just 
the effect that uh, my failed parents' relationship had on me. When I was growing up, my parents got separated a couple times. Uh, they fought through some of that separation, but they ultimately ended in a divorce, and, uh, and that produced in a deep measure of pain in my life. The most uh, tangible memory I have was a time when I was 15, and um, right, the fault included both of my parents, and my mom was um, uh, just likely being a little melodramatic at the time uh, when I was 15, and she threw herself on our garage floor. It was in July or August. It was 110 degrees out, and she said, I'm not leaving the floor until uh, my husband comes and talks with me. And so she just was kind of laying sprawled out on the floor. My sister and I were trying to reason with her. We were putting fans on her. We were trying to do all this stuff to go, hey, let's, this is, at least come to the bedroom. Um, she wasn't reasoning with us. In that moment, I, I left. My dad was mowing the yard, and I ran out to my dad, and I just said, hey, dad, my mom is laying down on the garage floor saying she won't move until you come and talk. Even if she dies, she's staying there. And in that moment, my dad just goes, I don't care what happens to her. And, uh, and I remember in the moment kind of going, hey, dad, this isn't just mom you're fighting for. This is our family. And he goes, I don't care what happens right now. And in that moment, I just kind of walked away, um, even as a 15-year-old, just uh, wounded immediately in that moment and feeling rejected myself in that spot. And over time, I, I felt like I was the, the better person. I, I took the, the higher road. But in reality, for the next two years, I kept my parents and I kept my family at a stiff-armed distance, not wanting them too close and okay if they were even a little bit further. And I didn't work through any of that pain. When I came through region for a host of other reasons, I began to work through some of the forgiveness issues that I had in that moment. And even as I have read about Stephen's life the last few days and just studied about how I want to approach Acts 6 and 7 tonight, I'm so encouraged anew by the standard of forgiveness So really all that I want to do tonight is kind of unpack some of my observations as I just read through this text through the lens of Stephen being willing to forgive even his uh, perpetrators. Even at the end of his life, he was willing to forgive. And the first thing is this. Let's just jump into Acts 6, verse 3. Again, a lot going on here, but big picture, early church is forming. There's some problems caring for some of the particular widows that the church is having trouble caring for. And so uh, some of the disciples said, hey, let's do this. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And in verse 5, the, the statement found approval. The plan found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen. It says, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It says then at that point that the word of God kept on spreading. The number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, yet again, called out, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. There were some people that came to challenge him. Some, some different religious organizations. The synagogue of the freedmen. And they rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking from. And so then it goes on to say, so they hatched a plan 
and tried to accuse Stephen of blasphemy. Did you catch some of the things that were said about Stephen? He was a man full of grace and power. They were unable to cope with his wisdom. He was filled by the Holy Spirit. It was in this moment, right, as you're looking through the lens of what Stephen would do at the end of his life, you need to first understand that forgiveness can only come from a relationship with Christ. We don't know a lot about Stephen. These are the two chapters that we read about him. But this much we know, if he's full of wisdom, if he's full of grace and power, if he's filled by the Holy Spirit, we know this, that he has a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, which means he has a right understanding of the gospel. And a right understanding of the gospel begins with Stephen recognizing he is a fallen sinner, falling short of God's perfection. He would know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He would know that, that the scriptures, the Old Testament, and even as we know now in the New Testament, that, that it would say, hey, the standard is be holy as I am holy, God says. He says that in Leviticus. And Stephen would have had that, and he would have known that, and he would have known, I can't, I'm not holy, and I fall short of that standard. And he would know that ultimately God's wrath has to be satisfied with blood. But he would also know that God's a loving and kind God and that he did something about the wrath that he had to pour out on sinners and that he sent his son who would be both fully God and fully man. And he would live the life that we were supposed to live, that even Stephen was supposed to live so that he could become the death that we deserve, even the death that Stephen deserves. Christ died for our sins on the cross and it's with the shedding of blood, his blood, that there can be forgiveness. And it's with that confidence that Stephen operates the rest of his life from. And it's with confidence in the gospel that he can get to a place where he can speak wisdom and he can live his life in such a way that it's for the glory of God. It can even be so much so that he knows that at the end of his days, that even as people are attacking him, he can go, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. They are but sinners as I am. One of my favorite letters in all of your New Testament is the letter of Philemon. It's a beautiful letter. Go home and read it tonight. And if, you, if I could summarize it tonight, it's literally Paul just pleading with Philemon who has the right to put to death a man named Onesimus. And yet Paul had led Philemon to the gospel. Paul goes on to lead Onesimus to the gospel. And because he led Onesimus to the gospel, he says, you need to go back and make amends. That's going to be next month. You need to go make amends with Philemon. And he writes a letter to Philemon saying, Philemon, you who understands the gospel, you who understands that you deserve to be dead, you receive Onesimus back into fellowship. And you trust at the end of the day that Christ's blood is sufficient for his sin. It's a beautiful letter, and it's because he has a right understanding of the gospel, and it's the same with Stephen. He has a right understanding of the gospel, so he can be at a place that even while his assault is happening, he can offer forgiveness. It's what faithful people do. In Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, it says this, that while you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Having forgiven all, us all of our transgressions, he canceled out the certificate of death consisting of de decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Forgiveness comes first from receiving the gospel. Forgiveness has a deep understanding of the gospel. And look, the gospel always brings peace when you accept it. 
And so really all that happens when you say, yes, I will forgive you, you are affirming the truth of the gospel, and thus it brings peace to you. You need to understand something. Forgiveness is all about you and God. It's a vertical transaction. At, to be very clear, your forgiveness has no bearing on uh, the person that's hurt you. It has no bearing on their eternal salvation, I should say. All that you're doing when you say, I forgive somebody, is you're just trans transferring rightly the responsibility to God to deal with that sin. And God deals with sin one of two ways. That's all he's ever done. All sin, all time, by all people. It's either been covered by the blood of Christ shed on the cross, or it will be satisfied with his eternal wrath. And all that you're saying when you say, I will forgive you, you're just saying, Lord, I trust you to deal with this sin and this person as you see fit. And that you keep it out of your hands. And you recognize that at the end of the day, their sin can still be covered by the blood of the cross just as your sin has been. So you have to have a right understanding of the gospel. Stephen definitely had a right understanding of the gospel Verse 11 is where they begin to um, secretly hatch a plan against Stephen. They stirred up the people, it says in verse 12, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to, to Stephen and dragged him away and brought him before the council. This is other things that are being done to him. They put forth false witnesses, which would have been against the holy law. That's bearing false witnesses is, is a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. But notice Stephen stays silent. He's not defending himself in this moment. He just trusts God's sovereign. I'm going to trust. And fixing their gaze on him in verse 15, it says, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Could you imagine that? In that moment, he is being attacked. He's being lied. His name, his character is being besmirched. And he just sits there like, okay. This is a man fully yielded to Christ's spirit. And this is a man that fully understands the gospel that emanates the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And it's interesting. I finally read verse seven or, or chapter 7 with, with verse 15 from chapter 6 in mind. That here he is with the face of an angel. And then chapter 7 begins. And here's something you need to know about forgiveness. Forgiveness stands firm on the truth. It does not shrink back from the truth. The high priest says in this moment, are these things so? So finally Stephen has a chance to, to discuss. And Stephen goes, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to share the gospel with you. I'm going to share the good news. And he unpacks. By the way, if you need a quick study in the Old Testament, go read Acts 7. He just unpacks God's love for his people. He says, don't you recognize from the beginning, this is, what this is what God was doing when he called Abraham. He wanted to make a nation out of us so that other nations could be um, brought into a relationship with Jehovah, with God. He's sharing the gospel, and he says, we missed it over and over and over again. We missed it, and so God, in his graciousness, because he loved us, he sent prophets at one after another, and we kept killing our prophets. We kept not listening to him. He's standing firm on the truth. He's not trying to hide what they did. He looks them in the eye and says, this is what we are all guilty of. This is what you're guilty of. I don't know about you. When I grew up, it, it was like we, we, 
things that happened to us, we just kind of shoved them in the corner and acted like they didn't happen. Maybe if enough time would pass by, we'd forget that it happened. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness stands on the truth. Just a couple of observations I wrote. I just said, forgiveness doesn't shy from the truth. It shines a spotlight on it. Forgiveness doesn't lower the standard of truth. It elevates the standard of truth. Forgiveness doesn't slump quietly away. Forgiveness speaks up. Forgiveness is bold. Verse 51, it says this. Again, I read this test this by the word of God, challenge me if I'm wrong, but I read verse 51 a little bit differently when I go, he had a face of an angel. He just says, you men who are stiff-necked and I'm circumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Again, when I read this before, I just assume he's yelling at this point with some sort of righteous anger, turn, and, and I, I, I now think he's pleading with them. Sorry about the mic issues. <laughs> You were doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, probably four years ago, I, I, I was walking with my dad on the farm where he grew up. And uh, I was just trying to get, um, he grew up in a little town in Marshall and, and on, on a dairy farm. And I was just trying to get all of his history just his stories growing up and he was taking me on a tour of the farm I'd been on the farm many times but I'd never gotten his little stories from that time and uh we're walking by this little chicken coop area that's basically been destroyed but the the foundation's still there and some of the walls are half built and we're kind of walking there and he's telling me about the chicken coop and I notice he just stops it at one of the chicken coops and I kind of look back and and his eyes begin to tear up and uh, I just kind of like, hey, Dad, what? Are you okay? And uh, and he just goes, "This is where my dad lived." I was like, and I'm looking. I mean, there's a three thousand square foot house right across the pathway, and I'm like, "What do you mean? That's where your dad lived?" And he said, "My dad was um, my mom overpowered my dad and kicked him out of the house and forced him to live in the chicken coop for." years and years, and I, I was always mad at him because he never fought for our family. You know, and I'm sitting there in that moment, and I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh. I get it now a little bit, right? And in my mind, I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm going, Dad, don't you get it? You're, you've been stiff-necked too and uncircumcised in heart, and you're doing just as your father did. I think this is how Stephen's speaking. You're doing just as your father. You're just following the example, and I just want to wake you up just a little bit. Because there is a sympathy towards forgiveness. It's a right understanding of the gospel at the end of the day that Jesus go, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and I get it, and I get it, and my dad's dad missed it, and it hurt my dad who missed it, and it's hurt me who's missed it, And we don't hide that truth. We talk about it now in my family. And it makes it so much easier for me to go, God, Dad, I forgive you. I forgive you. What does it look like to fight for our family today? Let's, let's go there. Forgiveness doesn't shy away from what happened. One other thing I just want to say um, really quickly before we move on, and, and hear me clearly. If you're struggling to forgive someone, 
you're struggling with the truth of the gospel. And that's okay. You've gotten stuck in that area and let us help you. If you are struggling with the consequences of that person's sin in your life, that's a different story. That's all of us. We're all dealing with the consequences of sin in this world. Struggling with that is faithful. Struggling with whether to forgive someone, that's the biblical charge of Ephesians 4.32, that you forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Does that make sense? If you're struggling to forgive, you're stuck on the gospel. If you're struggling with the consequences of sin, that's all of us. Last thing. Forgiveness is about obedience at the end of the day. It says this in verse 54. Now, when they heard this, this is the religious elite, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him, but being full of the Holy Spirit, i.e., being faithful, being obedient, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opening up and the Son of Man standing. His eyes are fixed on the eternal. I love it. But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears. They rushed at him. They drove him out of the city, verse 58, and they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later be Paul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, just like his Savior did. In Luke 23, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. A couple of observations I just want to make. This is, just, this is what I do when I read my Bible. I just start writing down some things I'm learning. One thing I think, forgiveness is about obedience. I, I just, man, Stephen trusts God with the outcome. Being full of the Holy Spirit. He gazes intently. He gets some sort of vision of, and and. and and if I'm getting a vision, and I see God, and I see the Son, I'm kind of like, why are y'all not doing anything about this? And yet he's at peace, and he goes, they see it. They're still in the heavens. They're still in control. I trust them with the outcome of all of this. Forgiveness is about the eternal. His eyes is fixed on the heavens. His forgiveness exalts Christ. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's about that he grants forgiveness even when it is not sought. Can you forgive someone who has passed away? Absolutely. In fact, it's the obedient thing to do. Forgiveness does not make you the better person. Forgiveness makes you an obedient follower of Christ. Forgiveness is not the higher road it is the faithful road we're all called to walk. And I'm not telling you it's easy. Don't let anyone tell you it was easy. Forgiveness was bought with the blood of Christ. It is not easy. But it is faithful. And it is obedient. And it is the call of Christ followers to do that. Let me close with this. You never know who's watching. One of my favorite things, I've told my leaders this a couple times, that when I share the gospel with somebody, I love when my kids are nearby. Because as I'm sharing the gospel, look, I hope the person that I'm sharing the gospel with receives the gospel, yields to it. But I know that 
maybe the most important person hearing what I'm doing is my kids, right? Maybe they'll understand the gospel. Maybe they'll start to understand, oh, this is what faithful people do is share the gospel. You never know who's watching. I told you at the beginning, a good storyteller never begins with the ending, so I saved a little something here. We notice that Saul's watching. It says in verse 1 of chapter 8 that Saul was even in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And if I'm Stephen in that moment, I'm like, what good is happening right now? Why should I offer forgiveness to the people that are perpetuating my murder right now? Because you never know who's watching and you never know the impact that it's going to have on them years later. And the perpetrator may never forgive you, but you don't know who marvels at your faith and then responds accordingly. Saul becomes Paul a couple chapters later in his life, radically altered, pursues Christ, plants uh, the early church all over the place, writes half your New Testament, maybe one of the most faithful 30 years ever lived on this earth apart from Christ. And when it comes to his final days, he shows up in Rome, falsely accused, just like Stephen. And in Roman days, uh, you had two hearings, the first of which uh, people could show up and, and defend you in that moment. Paul, who had radically affected hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives presently, says this in 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first defense, no one supported me. All deserted me. And see if this line sounds familiar. May it not be counted against them. Stephen's final words, I'm pretty sure, had a lasting impact on Paul. And it rewrote how Paul approached even his last days, his final letter, isolated, alone in Rome, reminding himself the gospel's still true. I trust the Father. I will stand firm on the truth, and I will do the obedient thing, which is not hold anything against him. I will transfer that responsibility to God. That's what forgiveness is about, and that's what faithful men and women do. And I'm not saying it's easy. It wasn't easy for Paul, one easy for Stephen, one easy for Christ, but it's faithful. Let me pray we'd be bold enough to do that. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that um, while we were still sinners, while we were in essence still throwing stones at you, you died for us. Thank you that while we were still foolish, and running from you, you were still pleading, Father, do not hold this sin against them. They do not know what they do. And then you came and chased us down, Lord. Help that truth sink all the deeper in our lives. Lord, we love you. I pray for my friends tonight that we all could grow in this area and begin to model it in such a way that we, don't, we can live with whether or not our perpetrators and the people that have harmed us ever receive our forgiveness, but we just trust that you are up to something that we can't fully understand, so just help us be faithful. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.